So we'll be back in the book of Mark this morning for this resurrection story. Uh, the resurrection is recorded in all four of the Gospels, not surprising, landmark event, I mean the biggest event perhaps of the story, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to use this text and I hope to connect you to something maybe that you haven't noticed before. It was something I hadn't really spent time thinking about, but uh, I was just grateful for the Lord to bring it to my, uh, to my thought and to kind of show it to me. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 16, and I'm just going to read through that, uh, our text this morning, and pick out a couple of things, and then we're going to come back to a particular phrase that I want to focus on this morning. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene... Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. There are so many phrases and thoughts within this text that we could focus on, and, and we have focused on in times past. Um, there's the theme of the women going to anoint Jesus. What was the purpose of that? Why were they doing it on, on this morning? And, and just quickly, the, the tradition was, it's very practical, in fact, we learn from one of the other Gospels that Jesus was anointed before he went into the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea with about 75 pounds of spices. And then the, the women came back on Sunday morning at early light to anoint him some more. Why did they wait? Because the next day after the crucifixion was the Sabbath and they were commanded to rest and so they could not come on the Sabbath. They had to wait until the following morning. So they came that following morning. Who knows how much they were bringing, but the practical purpose, there were two things. One was honor, to honor one that they loved, to care for the body of one who they loved, but the other was practical because dead bodies stink. In fact, if we go back to the story of Lazarus, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, and Jesus says, open that thing up, and the sister of Lazarus, who was very upset with Jesus because he wasn't there when Lazarus was sick, says, you don't want to do that. In fact, I love the King James. He's been in the grave four days. He stinketh. Right? Right? So you can imagine in a place like Jerusalem where there are tombs and graves and gardens with graves, and those bodies are there, and they didn't have the modern conventions that we have now of, of, of a concrete vault that a sealed casket is placed in and then placed under the ground, six to eight feet under the ground, that dealing with the after effects of death could be very difficult. And so I've preached messages focused on that anointing and on those principles and the honoring of the body and the effects of death. And then if you zip down a little bit more, certainly the part where they enter the tomb, they see a young man. One of the, one of the, the Gospels describes him as an angel sitting there in the tomb in the place where Jesus laid. There's another account in the Gospels that tells us that the, the, the grave clothes that he was wrapped in were neatly folded and placed on the place where he had lain. And of course, the words that he says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified, but he is risen, he is not here. One of the other accounts 
says, uh, says it this way, says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is alive. And you could spend, we could spend our 20 to 30 minutes right there, just in that text. And then there's the, the command to the women. The first ones, by the way, to hear the, the exclamation point on the gospel message are these three women that he's alive, he's risen, and they're the first ones given a missionary assignment. Now go and tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus Christ is alive. And here, Mark records this, and I told you a few, few weeks ago, several weeks ago, as we talked about the different Gospels, uh, that the book of Mark is written by someone who was not one of the 12 disciples. Mark and Luke, those two Gospels written by witnesses of the day, but scholars believe that Mark is written by a guy named John Mark who received the oral story from Peter, wrote down Peter's story. And we find in this account that the man, the angel inside the tomb who says, you're looking for the living among the dead. He's not here. He's alive. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is alive and that they will see him again just as they saw him before. And of course, we remember Peter had some great moments with Jesus, walking on the water. Um, I think Peter's the one who found the five loaves and two fishes. I think, might have been Andrew, can't remember. Peter's the one who made the first declaration among the disciples of who Jesus was, who, who realized who Jesus really was. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commended him for that. He said, man, this is fantastic. You, you didn't learn that through your eyes, but the spirit of God revealed this to you. And then like 30 seconds later, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And he pointed at Peter and was talking to him. Peter had lots of ups and downs. And in this story, of course, we know that when it came really down to it, Jesus was being abused and being mocked and prepared for his torture and crucifixion that, that Peter, who had said, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll take a sword before I deny you. And Jesus said, Peter, this very night, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows for the morning dawn. And he did. And I love that part of the story because we see here that God made provision for Peter a little extra to remind him that, yeah, man, you really messed things up, but I've not forgotten you. And this message is still for you. And that is a great message to pull out of this text. No matter how much you think you've messed up, no matter how messed up your life is, no matter the decisions that you've made that have caused wreckage in your life or you're on a course, if you will trust him, there for you as well. Just do a hand mic.
case for me, has been somewhat overlooked. I've, I've thought of it before, but only in practical terms, only in the terms of mechanics here. And it is this phrase that the women said on their way to the tomb. And they said, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Because the stone was large. And the stone was heavy. Now, of course, you know, because we just read the story, we get a 20-20 hindsight vision that the stone's already rolled away. But I would suggest to you as we look at this text this morning that that, for all of us,
chosen in ways that reflect that we love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And there are times that we have chosen to not love our neighbor as we love ourselves, or as God would have us love them. And what the Bible tells us if we go over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Do you have that before me? Starts in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does... I'm sorry, I should go back to uh, uh, Romans chapter 6. Sorry. Did I give you that one? That's okay, let me just say it. I'll do it. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So if we all come to understand, if we can agree that at least since we're talking in biblical terms, in a biblical sense, if we understand and believe the Bible, that, that God calls us to be obedient to His commands, which at its core is that we that we love God with everything that we are, we love our neighbor with everything that we are, and all the ways that God wants us to, to do, then in some measure all of us have been disobedient to what God has commanded. That's look. That's not necessarily a shameful thing. It's just our, it's our condition. It's where we are. And the writer of Romans says that the, the payment for that condition is death. And we understand that, that we go back to the story about Adam and Eve, and we understand God said, you know, that death was introduced into our physical lives through the sin of Adam and Eve. But we also come to understand, as we, as we look at Scripture, that death is also spiritual. Our spiritual selves are dead because of our disobedience. The wages of sin is death. But the writer goes on in the same breath to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. That eternal life is, is bought and paid for by His incarnation, His clothing Himself in human flesh, living the example of a perfect life so that He could be a sinless, spotless sacrifice for our sins. And then on this day, this resurrection day that we celebrate, put the final point on everything that He said, everything that He promised, and prove that He truly was the master of both life and death and all of eternity, and if we would then take and place our trust in Him to rescue us from our wages of sin, that He is able to do that. So back to Romans. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Alright, so what he's saying here is, if we go all the way back to Moses writing the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws that were given to the Jewish people specifically, that there was an understanding that if they lived by those laws, that they would live by those laws. But then he goes on to say this, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, 
who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. So what he's saying here is, if we, if we understand that we, we need to have this faith as opposed to depending on our good works, if we, if we deny that and we say, hmm, I can ascend into heaven, then we are making ourselves to be equal with God. It says what we do in that is that we bring Christ down. And he goes on to say, or who will ascend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Meaning, let's just make Jesus just like us. And the whole point here is that he's not like us. He's different. He's perfect. He's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate. And he has offered us something that only he has the power to offer. And he goes on to say, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I love that verse. It's not my favorite verse in the Bible. My favorite verse is John 3.16, but I love to follow John 3.16 with this one because John 3.16 says... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And then people go, what does that mean to believe in him? And here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because listen guys, without the resurrection, without today, the gospel story has no power. It's a great story of a great man who did incredible things and was generous and kind and was willing to lay down his life, but if Jesus stays in the tomb, there is no power in the message of the gospel. He must rise. And that's why the confession that leads to salvation is this, and it is no more complicated than this. After you confess this, if this is your position, you trust God and you pursue God through His Word, fellowship with other believers, through prayer, uh, through contemplating in your own mind the way that you think about your life, and you, you ask God to move in your heart to help you to think about your life as He would think about your life. It begins here. It's no more complicated than this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. That means in your heart, when you believe, you cast off the doubts and you go, okay, Jesus is it. He really is the Savior. He really, he really can save me. When we, when we express that in our heart, it says that we are then made right with God. That's what it means to be justified. To, make, to be made right with God. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now this is important. There's no such thing as an incognito faith in Christ. There's no such thing as an under-the-radar issue. Does that mean you've got to meet people in the face with your faith? No. 
Does it mean, does it mean you can't be ashamed of your faith? I think it does. In fact, in another place he says, if you are ashamed of me in front of people, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. Now, is this a simple act? Is this, is this like works salvation? It's not. And I'm going to cover that here in just a moment. What this is, is it's really a proclamation that if you believe in your heart, you will not be able to help but allow it to come out of your mouth when the opportunity arises. When God opens the door, when He opens the conversation, when He gives you the platform, you really don't have the option to not confess Christ publicly. The tradition of baptism in the Christian church is actually the first step of that traditionally. That's really what that was meant to be, was you made a decision in your heart to believe, and then before the assembly you were baptized and then confessed publicly to everyone that you made this decision. That's why we still practice it today. There's some of you in here who still need to follow through with that, by the way. Just saying. Ready? But why must we do this? The women went to the tomb and they said, Who will roll away the stone for us? Now let me ask you on Saturday. What was in the tomb? The tomb fell on Sunday morning. We know that Jesus was in the tomb. But what did Jesus represent inside that tomb? It was those wages that we have to pay. It was death. Death was inside that tomb. In a way that it was inside no other grave in all of history, because no other grave contained the body of a man who was God in the flesh, and who was the perfect, sinless sacrifice to pay for those wages for all of humanity, past, present, and future, to cover every sin, every disobedience ever made. So I suggest to you that when we understand that we have a problem of sin and that we have some wages to pay, we're asking the same question every day of our lives that we're without Christ. Who will roll away the stone from the tomb? Where I am. The Bible describes us when we are apart from Christ as being dead. We are not yet alive. Because we're dead in our sin. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses of sin. You see that? You're dead in your sin. In which he once walked. Now, he's speaking in the past tense here because he's speaking to those who have believed. So if you are one who has not yet believed and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's talking about you. 
to these Christians who say in the Testament, you were once dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of what? Disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Do you, do you hear the totality of these statements? All of mankind has the same problem. They're dead in their trespasses without Christ. That whether we walk this earth or we've already passed, that we are spiritually already in a tomb of death and we need someone to roll away the stone. And I, two of my favorite words in the whole Bible but God. But God. Children of wrath, dead in our transgressions, following our passions, living like the world, because of our disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Make us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him. And seated. Raised up. Raised and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we are dead in our trespasses, unless we trust in Christ, through faith, receive the grace that He pours out to us, which is to pay the wages for our sin, so that we might be saved. If we remain dead in our trespasses and do not believe, and do not confess, we of course will physically die, everyone will, but we will also spiritually die. And there will be no one to roll the stone away from the tomb in which our spirits reside. And so I say to you this morning, as you hear these words, I can't convince you, I'm not trying to compel you or manipulate you into making a decision, that is God's business to touch your heart and to move in you. 
But if these words speak truth to you, if His Spirit is moving in you, and you understand that right now you are dead and in a tomb, needing someone to come and roll the stone away, Jesus stands ready. And the entrance into that grace is to have faith in Him and to believe that He has been raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Would you guide me? I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm just going to ask if there's anyone in here this morning and for the first time, no one's looking around, it's just you and me. But if you, for the first time this morning, need to make that confession publicly, you can make it to me right now. Just raise your hand. I can't see you on the live stream, but you can raise your hand too. And if you do that on the live stream, send me an email. Let me know. I think sometimes in the Christian church we overcomplicate what it means to be saved. Now, is there much to be done and much to be said about being a Christian, living a Christian life? Sure. Becoming a disciple? That's what the Christian does. They become a disciple. They, they learn the ways of Jesus and we attempt to live in the way of Christ. And that takes some time. It takes some study, conversation. But that is not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about God touching your heart today, calling you to himself and saying, I want to bring you to life. And you, deciding if you want that or don't. So that business is between you and God. If by chance you've made that decision this morning and you want to share it with me after, come and speak with me, send me an email. And I would really encourage you to take the next step of tradition in the Christian church and schedule a time with me that we can baptize you and celebrate that with all of our congregation and friends. Because we all want to rejoice in the work that God has done in you as you have believed and confessed that Jesus is indeed alive and that He is your Lord. We're going to close with a song this morning, and then a video after the song is finished. So I pray that it will minister to you, you will enjoy it, and I hope that your time here has been worthwhile this morning. So good to see you, so good to see your faces, and have you here with us, and uh, continue to do what you need to do to be safe and all that stuff, but it is great to see you here. So that's the worship team, and both of us come back and join me.